We are in week two of a series called Wait What? And we are looking at some of the crazy stories in the Bible. And let me tell you, there's a lot of them. Like, there's a lot of stories that you read in the Bible and you're like, wait, what? That's not, that's not right. Is it? Wait, is it? Oh, okay. I guess it's right. Um, and so last week we kicked the series off by talking about the Tower of Babel. And uh, we talked about what that, the event that took place. Um, and then we also talked about sort of what it means. And basically, I had somebody come up to me afterwards, and, and he's like, your message was pretty good. But he's like, I've, I still have questions about it. Like, it's just such a strange story. And I'm like, me too, man. Like, it's just a strange story. And that's kind of the point of the series. And I think, I think part of the series, in the heart behind it, is to allow for us to give an honest look at the Bible and just go, okay, like a lot of these stories like I grew up hearing or some of these stories like I've heard about and then us just giving an honest look and saying, okay, why is this in here, for one, and then two, what does it mean to me today? And we're hoping to make sense of uh, the series or the stories and then apply them to our lives. And, and one of the things that we talked about with the Tower of Babel is that what God was doing is it wasn't a, a, a punishment per se and the reason that he confused the language, but it was, it was to slow down a process. Because what, what we're told about the people is that with their hands together in one language, there, there was nothing that they couldn't accomplish. And what God was seeing is that the hearts of men and the direction that they were going was leading them so far away from the plans that he had for them. And so he confuses the language to slow down a process so that there was more time for his grace and his mercy in our life. Um, and it's a huge reason as to why he confused the language. Now, in this week, we're going to look at a character by the name of Jacob. And we're actually going to look at, the, for the next two weeks, tonight and next week, about this character, Jacob. And we're only going to look at two of his weird stories, although his whole life is kind of a weird story. Um, and so we're going to talk about two of them. This one gets a lot less play than a lot of the other ones. Um, this is like the weirdest story um, in the life of Jacob. So if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 29. Genesis chapter 29. It's the first book of your Bible, chapter 29. And we're going to begin in verse 16. Um, and I'll read it to you, and um, I will try to make sense of it. Remember, that's just the, at the end of the story, you're going to go, wait, what? And I'm going to be right there with you, okay? Um, we're going to try to make sense of it, and uh, then we'll hopefully apply a little bit to it, um, to our lives. And if we go home, like, I, I don't get it then that's a cool too. All right, Genesis chapter 29, beginning in verse 16. Um, and I'll give you a little bit more context after we read the story. I just want us to be all a little shocked, okay? All right, um, 29 verse 16. It says, now Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. And it says, Leah's eyes were delicate, but Rachel was beautiful of form and appearance. Now, a lot of people have speculation about what it means when it says Leah's eyes were delicate. Um, some people say that when it says Leah's eyes were delicate, they literally meant like she had like a crazy eye maybe. <laughs> like Leah's eye, like there was just a rogue eye with Leah. Um, like she was looking at you, but you're like, is she looking at me? Um, so she, Leah's eyes were, they were delicate. Uh, other, uh, other people think that it actually, that it kind of gets lost a little bit in translation. 
And what it actually is saying is that, like, Leah was hard to look at. <laughs> like, in other words, let me just say it like this. Leah probably had a great personality. <laughs> so Leah, her eyes were delicate. And then it says, but Rachel was beautiful of form and appearance. Okay, so that's what we're told. Now, Jacob loved Rachel. So he said, I will serve you to Laban seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. And Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than I should give her to another man. And he says, stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed only a few days to him because of the love that he had for her. And everybody says, aww. So, so basically context, there's, <laughs> Laban's got two daughters, Leah, she's got a crazy eye, and then Rachel was beautiful. And, and Jacob says to Laban, like, hey, um, I want to work for you for seven years, basically to pay the dowry so that I can marry your daughter, Rachel. And he says, yeah, that seems like a fair trade. You work seven years, you can have Rachel. Um, and he says, yeah, I'll do it. And it's just so romantic, probably the most romantic verse in the Bible. He says, it just seemed like just a few days because he loved Rachel just so much. Now, verse 21, it's kind of the romance ends. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled that I may go and be with her. <laughs> it's like, yep, time's up. Give her to me. And Laban uh, gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. Now, it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to Jacob, and he was with her. And Laban gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah as a maid. So it came to pass. Now, this makes me think the next statement that um, probably there wasn't just like food at the wedding. It probably, there was probably like an open bar um, at the wedding. And I think that Jacob probably got a little loose on his wedding night. And the reason I think that is because the next verse, it says, so it came to pass in the morning that behold, it was Leah and her crazy eye. And he said to Laban, Laban, what is this that you've done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served you? Why then have you deceived? Like literally the next morning, like he spent the whole night with his wife. And then the next morning he realized like, whoa, <laughs> hold on. That is, that's not, this is, that's not what, this isn't okay. So he says, what is it that you've done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served? Why then have you deceived me? Verse 26. And Laban said, it must not be done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Fulfill her week, and we will give you this one also for the service, which you will serve with me still another seven years. So he says, okay, but like, listen, we needed, we just had to get rid of Leah. Like, you've seen her, like, it's, it's a struggle. And so we just thought we'd give her to you. And then, all right, stick around another seven years, and you can have Rachel as well. And so uh, it says, then Jacob did so and fulfilled her week. So he gave him his daughter Rachel as wife also. And Laban gave his maid Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as maid. Then Jacob also went in uh, to be with Rachel, and he also loved Rachel more than Leah. And he served with Laban still another seven years. Um, I've titled this message, that's not what I wanted. <laughs> That's not 
what I wanted. Let's pray, and then we'll talk about these very bizarre verses. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And God, we thank you that even in uh, sort of confusing Old Testament, uh, very different tradition Bible verses, God, there's, there's application to us today. So God, we ask that you would help us to see what you're saying tonight. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, a little bit of backstory about who this guy Jacob was, because it's so important to understand this story. Because when you just read it, and that's kind of why I wanted to read it like that, is because you read it and you're like, this is so weird. Like, this makes me feel uncomfortable. You too? Yeah, okay. Um, It's just bizarre. Now, Jacob is the grandson of a guy named Abraham. Abraham is a very important figure for the nation of Israel and for the followers of Jesus. Abraham was the father of the nation of Israel. He had a son of promise named Isaac, and then Isaac had two sons named Jacob and Esau. Now, Jacob, the reason his name is Jacob, is because when he came out of the womb, Jacob and Esau were twins. Esau came out first, so he was the firstborn. But Jacob, in his little baby, with his little baby hand, was holding on to the ankle of his older brother Esau. And so Jacob literally, in case you didn't know this, it literally means heel catcher. Heel catcher. It, it, basically, the idea is like trickster. Or, or, or swindler, or, or prankster. That's kind of the idea when they, when they named him Jacob. So they name him Jacob, and Jacob, as the heel catcher that he was as a child, um, sort of lived up to that name. There's two very important moments in the life of Jacob that he lived up to his name as the prankster or the trickster. One of which, he tricked his older brother Esau into giving him his birthright. Maybe you know this story. Now, uh, Esau was sort of a man's man. He was a hunter. We're also told that he was very hairy, even at birth. Like Esau, actually, Jacob means heel holder or trickster. Esau just means hairy, um, or literally (laughs) red-haired. So he came out all hairy, um, whatever. And so Esau was like this this man's man who was super hairy and probably smelly. And he went out, and he, he hunted. And after a day of hunting, he didn't kill anything. And he came back, he's exhausted from the hunt, he's tired, and he's hungry, and he comes in, and his brother Jacob is making soup. And uh, he, like, comes in, you know, in the cartoon when something smells good, and, like, it, like, goes into their nostrils and then, like, carries them into the kitchen. You know what I'm talking about, the scenes in the cartoons? None of you? Okay. Um, So he, like, so that's Esau. He floats in, and he's like, so, Jacob, what are you making for dinner? He's like, oh, just some soup. (laughs) And he's like, oh, I would love, I'm so hungry, I'm about to die. That's what he says. It's like classic drama queen. Like, I'm so hungry, I'm going to die. And Jacob's like, okay, that's great. I'll, you can have some of my, my soup, but uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to cost you something. And he's like, anything, you can have anything. And he's like, if you want a bowl of my soup, I'm going to get your birthright. Now, the birthright was the, for the older child. He got a larger portion of his father's inheritance. So after his father would die, he would receive his birthright. And as the older child, he would receive a bigger inheritance. So basically what Jacob says is, I will give you this bowl of soup right now. But you, when dad dies, I get what you're supposed to get. And Esau's like, well, what good is it to me if I'm dead anyway? So yeah, you can have it. And so he scarfs down the soup and probably immediately realizes, like, well, that was 
a bad decision. Like, he was just hangry and like, I just need food. And so then he's mad at his brother. Well, fast forward a little while later. His dad is old and is dying and his eyes have gone bad. And he tells Esau to go out, go, go kill uh, an animal, bring it back to me, cook it up. And so before I die, I want one last Esau delicious meal. And Esau's like, all right, I'm going to do it. And then he says, when you come back, I'm going to bless you. And the idea of a blessing was like not just like, hey, God bless you or something like that. But it was, it was favor and it was another extra portion of just God's favor and actual inheritance in the life of Esau. So he says, you go out, cook the food. When you come back, I'll bless you. Now, Jacob wasn't really the hunter. Jacob was more like a mama's boy. And um, he went to, or his mom came to him and said, hey, Esau's gone out. I want you to go in, pretend to be your brother Esau, and you can get the blessing from your dad. And Jacob's like, okay, the only problem is, is like Esau is super hairy and I'm not super hairy. And she's like, I've got a plan. We'll take like some deer's hair and we'll cover it. We'll like tape it on you. It was before tape. They invented tape for this moment. <laughs> That's not true. But they, they put hair on his arms. He put on some of his brother's clothes and he went into, him, into to see his dad and was like, hey, dad, it's me, Esau, bro. Like, or however he talked. And... Uh, and so they have this exchange, and he's like, is it really you? I, I, I can't see. And he's like, no, feel my arm. It's really me. And he feels, and he's like, whoa, okay, it's definitely Esau. <laughs> and so, so his father Isaac blesses Jacob the blessing that was supposed to be for Esau. So then Esau comes back, witnesses the whole thing. Second time, he gets tricked by his brother, and he is over it. He makes a, a, a decision right there. He is going to kill his brother Jacob. And it wasn't like how you say, I'm going to kill your sibling. Like, he was dead serious. He's like, I am going to kill my brother Jacob. And so his mom, Jacob and Esau's mom, say to Jacob, like, your brother's for real this time. You need to get out of town. So she sends him to where she's from, where this guy Laban lives. Jacob rolls into town, immediately meets Rachel, goes and meets Laban, and then this story unfolds. So that's kind of the history and the context of Jacob. So Jacob is on the run from his brother who wants to kill him. He ends up with Laban from the land where he's from. He's working as a slave to pay the dowry so he can marry the daughter of Rachel. And then Jacob gets tricked. Uh, sort of a taste of his own medicine. Here's Jacob as the prankster, tricking his brother, tricking his dad, doing all of these things. He winds up, and he gets out-tricked by a bigger trickster. <laughs> Here's my first point if you take notes. Sketchy people find sketchy people. <laughs> sketchy people find sketchy people. What I mean by that is this isn't God punishing Jacob. It's not like God has decided, you know what? I'm just going to ruin Jacob's life. And so for the next seven years, I'm going to make him work for this guy Laban. And at the end of the seven years, I'm just going to, just to mess with him, I'm going to give him the one that he doesn't really love to make sure he has to work another seven years, 14 years, to finally get the girl of his dreams. God isn't punishing Jacob. This is a natural consequence to the lifestyle and the actions of Jacob. Jacob was kind of a sketchy guy. 
Jacob was kind of that guy that was, that was always looking to do something, bending the rules, trying to switch things up in order to get his way. And, and because of that, he ends up around people that are kind of like him. Jacob, this, this kind of like shady guy that you're always like, where's my wallet? Jacob's been around. Like, what, what? And so he, he shows up to Laban's house. And Laban, and maybe that was the natural sort of connection with Jacob and Laban, was like, we're like swindlers together, like con artists, like maybe we can go into this together. I don't know. Whatever there was, th this reality is that it's not a punishment from God. It's a natural consequence to Jacob's own decisions. If you find yourself doing weird things or, or doing sketchy things or doing inappropriate things, don't be surprised when you're around sketchy people. Like Jacob doing all of these weird things, it's not really a surprise for him that that's the circle he finds himself around. And I think it's so important for us when we're, when we're making our decision, we're going through life. The people that you surround yourself with, it matters. And your character often attracts who's around you. Your character, how you act towards people and how you react to things and the things that you say and the things that you're involved in, your character attracts the people that you're around. And so if you are like Jacob and you're always bending the rules and you're always looking for ways out and you're always like, okay, here's the line. How can I get past the line without getting caught for getting past the line? Don't be surprised when the people that are around you are acting that same kind of way. We find ourselves around the people that, that our character attracts. And who you surround yourself matters. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33 says it like this. It says, don't be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Like in other words, even if you're thinking you're doing everything right, if you find yourself around the wrong people, you're going to behave wrong. And I think sometimes we wonder why we're not growing in Jesus or we keep getting in trouble or nothing's ever working the way we want it to work out. Well, maybe the people we've surrounded ourselves with aren't allowing us to grow into the things that God has for us. Uh, another verse, Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17 says it like this. It says, as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. The idea is that, that you rub off on each other. That how you behave and how you act, you'll find like the things that you laugh at, probably the people in your circle laugh at those same things. And maybe the music that you listen to, the people in your, the circle, for the most part, listen to the same types of music. And you find yourself, and that's a good thing. We want to have friends, right? And we want to hang out with the people that we like. That's not, that's not a wrong thing. Like you're like, I like this person because we get along. And this person, like, I don't not like this person, but we just don't have that much in common. That's okay. We're, we're supposed to be loving and kind to everyone, but if you have close friends, like that's not wrong. But make sure that the people that are rubbing off on you are making you more like Jesus, not more like them. Because a lot of times we'll find ourselves, you, you, you watch your life sort of grow and progress, and you realize, like, do you know, I don't think I'm being transformed in the image of Jesus day by day. I think I'm being transformed into the image of Christopher, or whoever your friend is. It took me that long to come up with the name Christopher. Um, if your name's Christopher, I wasn't talking about you. Um, <laughs> surround yourself with people that sharpen you, not make you dull. 
Look at your character and look at who you're attracting. Maybe you're always in trouble or afraid of getting caught because you're around sketchy people. Jacob got what he was. That's the important thing. Jacob here, it wasn't like God was punishing him and he's in this situation like, God, why would you let this happen to me? Because we do that all the time. We put ourselves in bad situations and then we're like, God, why would you allow this to happen? He's like, I didn't, what do you mean? Like, Jacob, do you not see your life for the last 20 years? Like, this is who you are. Of course, this is how it ended up for you. And so we just need to be aware of that. Now, Jacob continued to work and wait for the girl that he loved. And again, verse 20, we've got to read it again because it's so romantic. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed only a few days to him because of the love that he had for her. Jacob, and we'll talk about this more in a moment, but Jacob, even though his situation was bad, he continued to act in the right way. And Jacob chose to continue to be patient and work for his bride-to-be, even though the situation was less than ideal. Let me say it like this. Love is patient and waits. Real love, you can write this down, true love waits. And there's all sorts of things. Now, Jacob's kind of the exception to this situation because when you follow, like, he worked seven years and then 14 years, and, like, it wasn't this fairy tale ending. You know what I mean? Like, this, this no, Disney is not going to make a movie about Genesis chapter 29 as, like, this is the new princess series. Because it's like, this is a whole, it's not a happily ever after. What happened was, like, Ah, that's not who I wanted. And he's like, well, you got to work for another seven years. And he's like, okay, I guess. And he's like, now you have two wives. And it tells us very clearly, he's like, I don't really like Leah. I like Rachel more. So you've got this really messed up situation. Two wives, one he likes, one he doesn't. It, it's, it's really weird. And we don't need to get into all the weirdness. Well, that part of the weirdness. But let's, let's talk about the, the reality. This is sort of the exception to the rule. And what I mean by that is when you choose to do the right thing and wait, God will bless it. True love waits. It waits in a romantic way. It waits to be physical. It waits to get too serious. Um, it, it waits to hold grudges or retaliation in relationships. Uh, the Bible talks about being slow to speak and quick to listen. I think a lot of times in relationships what happens is we get, we're so quick to speak. And maybe you have a significant other, or even in a friendship, you, you'll, your friend will be saying something, and you're just waiting, like, till it's my turn to tell you why you're wrong. You know what I mean? Like, okay, talk, 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 you're talk, 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 wait, I'm just waiting, wait, 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 okay, now it's my turn to talk. Like, you're, you're done talking now? Okay, let me tell you why you're wrong. And real love, real relationship is patient. It hears things through. It sees things through. It takes its time. And then most importantly, it waits to be patient, waits to get too serious, hold grudge. Most importantly, waits for God's timing. Any relationship, especially romantic ones, waits for God's timing. Listen to this verse, Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 7. It says it like this. Uh, I charge you, uh, look at the end of it. It says, do not stir up nor awaken love until it pleases. Don't stir up or awaken love until it pleases. This idea is don't hit the fast forward button 
in relationships. And there are things that take relationships from zero to 60 way too quick. Things like just getting physical, things like inappropriate words and ideas or phrases in text, things that you would never say in person because you're a house away or houses away. You find yourself saying like, really inappropriate things that you would never look a boy in the eyes or a girl in the eyes and say that to. But what happens is we'll, we'll say these things because it's safe over text, and then it speeds up, it ramps up relationships that, that what Solomon would say is like, that's a bad idea. Don't awaken love. Don't stir up love. Don't, don't cause something to happen emotionally or physically that will ramp things up too quickly. True love, it's, it's patient. It waits for God's timing that's kind of like a little sidebar in the message because it's like this this is like a weird relationship gone weirder and so i'll give you that little bit of information now again jacob gets tricked the trickster got god but jacob this is the important part jacob chose to humble himself and be the bigger man this is so important for this story so let me, let's follow the story. He runs away from his brother who he wronged. He should be running away from his brother. He gets to Laban. Laban is a sketchy guy, but of course they get along. Jacob's a sketchy guy. Jacob works seven years hoping to marry his daughter, Rachel. Jacob gets tricked. He gets Leah. Not who he wanted. He's like, oh my goodness, Leah. Here we go. So then he's like, okay, here's what we'll do. You can have both, but you got to work another seven years in order to get Rachel. And what does he say? He's like, all right, I'll do it. Another seven years. That's fine. Whatever. He humbles himself. Now, Jacob, we've seen in his life, he is a very sneaky guy. I'm sure he could have figured out a way to get out of the second seven years of working for Laban. He, he tricked his own brother by a bowl of soup <laughs> to give away his birthright. Right? He tricked his own father by putting on fake hair on his arms to, get, to give away the blessing. Like He's got a few more tricks, I'm sure, up his sleeve. But, but Jacob, he hears, he hears the, the sort of the result, and he says, do you know what? All right, I'm going to work for it. He simply agrees to work. There's no schemes. Even though he was wronged, he still did what was right. Last point, you can write this down. You can either get bitter... Or get better. So here's the situation. Jacob looks at the situation and he could have gone home and be like, Laban, that son of a gun. Like, I cannot believe that he did that. I can't believe he tricked me like this. Oh, man. <laughs> He's got it coming to him. He could have gone home and, and allow and for the next seven years to just be filled with rage and all of these things just I can't believe he did that but instead he chooses to sort of look at the situation and go do you know what I'm not gonna I'm not gonna act like that because I believe Laban's actions sort of held up a mirror to Jacob Jacob all of a sudden through the actions of Laban just got a glimpse of what he looked like he was like whoa that's kind of how I act. Wait, is that really what I look like to other people? Is that how other people see me? Oh, man. Like, that, I, I did that to my brother. I did that to my dad. I am, I'm such a, I don't want to be that guy. 
Let Laban be that guy. I don't want to be that guy. He could see what it looks like and feels like to get played. And listen, I believe when you have God in you and know the truth, even in bad situations, it will allow you to see the ways you can grow in them. When you have God in you, when you've accepted Jesus Christ and God is at work in your heart, in your life, you can be in the midst of a bad situation and be able to see what God is doing in the midst of it. And rather than choosing to get bitter and frustrated and angry or upset at God, you're able to look at the situation and say, okay, God, how do you want to grow me in the middle of this? Rather than Jacob freaking out, he just puts his head down and keeps going. And I think it is so good to see things from another perspective and allow you to sort of self-examine. Because what happens is, is maybe you've been that person. You're behaving this way or you're saying those words or you're acting this way and you're doing this thing. And all of a sudden you see somebody else behave like that. Like you're the person that's like, you're the person that's like always arguing with your parents in front of your friends. Like you're that person. You're like, always oh, like, Mom, I can't believe you're, ah, oh, and then you go over to your friend's house, and you watch them do that, and you're like, oh, my gosh, is that what I look like? <laughs> oh, my gosh, I never want to do that again. You know what I mean? Like, there, there's situations where, where all of a sudden it's like somebody just held up a mirror, and you're like, ah, that's what I look like? That's that's horrible. I don't want to look like that. I don't want to act like that. I don't want to behave like I don't want to be that person. And Laban's actions, Laban's decisions, Laban, the way he treated Jacob, all of a sudden Jacob just got a glimpse like, hey, buddy, this is what you look like. And he's like, whoa, I don't want to be that guy. And it allows for him to self-examine. And I believe for Jacob for this moment, he's like, do you know what? I don't want to be like Laban. I want to I want to choose in this situation to get better and to grow and be able to overcome this, not get stuck as that same guy. I don't want to look back at my life and be, oh, my God, I'm the same person that I was still behaving like this, still acting like this, still lashing out at these people, still whatever, rather than allowing it to sort of you're looking at your life. Somebody holds up a mirror. And you go, do you know what? I am choosing right now because God has pointed this out to me, his spirit at work in my heart. I am choosing to get better. And Jacob used it to grow. Now, Jacob has a lot of growing to do. And next week we'll see sort of more of this sort of take place. But Jacob used this moment to grow. Worship team, you guys can come up here. I want to share a final story and we'll be done. Um, I don't know if you guys have heard about this, but there's an Instagram page called uh, Preachers and Sneakers. Have you heard this? Anybody heard of this, Preachers and Sneakers? Okay, um, if you haven't heard about it, basically it's an Instagram page that's dedicated to posting like sort of celebrity pastors in really expensive clothes. Like really expensive clothes. Like, and they'll have like Yeezys, and what, it, what the funny thing is they'll, they'll post the picture of the guy, and then they'll have like the stock X, which is like a resale website um, of the, the resale price of those shoes. And some of the, the shoes like the guys are wearing, like on the stage preaching are like, no joke, like $5,000 shoes. Remember last week we did that, we did that uh, game, like less than 500, more than 500. Um, 
it, they're like shoes that are like really expensive like that. And the reason I listened to a podcast uh, about the guy that started this, because it, when you look at it, it seems like he's just hateful. Like, and when I first thought, saw it, I thought he was just like, like anti-Christian, like I can't believe pastors would behave like this. And I listened to a podcast with this guy, and basically he was just like, I just thought, he's like, I thought it was funny. Like, if people want to wear shoes like that, he's like, I really couldn't care less. But what's happened since he started making this, this Instagram page is that it's it created this conversation where people are just asking, like, man, is it okay for people in ministry to have things like that? Like, where's the limit? Like, is it okay for a pastor to fly a private jet? Like, all of these types of questions that have actually been going on for a really long time, but it kind of opened up the conversation. The reason I bring all of that up is because I remember, like, when this Instagram page first came up and I saw it, I, I just felt like, and it was just for me personally, and I'm not, like, trying to call anybody else out. Just for me personally, I just thought, like, do you know what? I, I want to hold myself to a little bit higher standard. And I, I found myself in the last couple of years just getting really caught up in just image and needing to, like, buy on the next drop and like I remember one time at a baptism there was like a drop for a clothing line that I, at a baptism and I was so stressed out at a church baptism at a baptism <laughs> like needing to be on my phone to get this before it sold out and like this this Instagram page for me just was like this you know this is kind of what it looks like to care that much and I'm like Ooh, ouch and just for me personally I just think like do you know what? I'm going to try to care a little bit less. And I'm not saying, like, if you have nice shoes, like, praise God, you have nice shoes. You drive a nice car, praise the Lord, you got a nice car. Like, and that's not the point. For me personally, it just was like a mirror and just was like a self-examination. Like, hey, what's most important to you? Like, what matters most in your life right now? Like, is it image or is it something different? And, and, and sometimes, like, God will allow things in your life to just be that examination where he'll just give you a little check. Like, hey, What's, what's most important to you? Is it, is it that image? Is it being able or, or listening to that music? Or is it, you know, acting this way or hanging out with this group of friends? Like, what is most important to you? And God will check in your heart. You'll feel it sometimes where you're just like, do you know what? Maybe, maybe I don't want to stay like this. Maybe I'm going to use this as an opportunity to grow.